Green Teacher's main office is located on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe, Huron-Wendat, Haudenosaunee, and Mississauga peoples. This territory is covered by the Williams Treaty. We all know it has to be positive, it has to be about solutions, it has to be action-orientated. We can't dwell on the problems. And so humor is a perfect compliment for me to do that. I think artists do need to be true to their style. They do need to be true to themselves and not get too generic mm -hmm. because the whole value of art is to be original. It's done in a way where it kind of the information sort of slides in, you know, and it rides the wave of the storytelling and the fiction. And this is something that I'm very passionate about. Testing, testing. Hey, I'm Ian. And I'm Sophia. And welcome to Talking with Green Teachers. This is the Environmental Education Podcast, where we discuss recent developments, big ideas, and creative approaches to teaching green. In this episode... Well, you know, I really want to make sure that it's out there, that I put it out there. Mm -hmm. I don't believe in sugarcoating anything for children, no matter how young. I believe they need to know and they need to understand why, you know. So <clears throat> this is why having a character like Captain Polo is so great, because he is curious and he comes into a problem at face value. And because he can speak to humans, he, he listens to the stories. Uh, so the storytelling comes in from the characters he meets, and they listen to Polar bear is the largest of the eight bear species on the planet and the only one classified as a marine mammal. Largely confined to the Arctic, these apex predators patrol endless expanses of sea ice in search of food. Though conservationist and cartoonist Alan Hesse lives in the realm of the spectacled bear of the South American Andes, he has chosen a polar bear as the protagonist of his educational Captain Polo graphic novel series. Alan joined Ian to discuss the creative opportunities inherent in the comic form, the role of humor in climate change education, and why it's so important to be honest with young learners about difficult truths. So one of your primary tools of choice for environmental and climate change education is comics. What do comics allow for that other media don't? Well, comics are visual. They are also able to bring in storytelling. So you have this wonderful combination of visual storytelling. And it's kind of like watching a movie, but on paper, you know, or, or, or these days also on, on devices, you know, because they also do eBooks. The comics all exist as eBooks as well. And uh, the, the comic allows me to, to engage my audience because I'm telling a story. And that means protagonists, that means, um, you know, uh, heroes, uh, anti-heroes, all, all, all the sort of panoply of possible characters can come into it. And that fiction side, I think, carries the readership, you know. And so I'm able to use comics in a way that, that engages the audience while also enlightening them about the particular topics that it touches upon. So there's always a mix of it's. My comics are a dance of fiction and non-fiction. Um, the non-fiction, you know, is environmental content, uh, mainly climate these days, mainly climate change. 
And so the, the comic is really that. It's visual storytelling. And it's it's a lot of fun because you 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 get to to see the the humor, the adventure, the, the slapstick uh you know uh situations and geographical settings as well. And it, it's such a it's such a powerful um it's such a powerful tool to to get through to the audience. For sure. And it, it's one of the many forms of visual storytelling and the comic form in particular, I mean, it has these side-by-side panels, it has text bubbles. That's obviously distinct from something like a children's book, a traditional children's yes. book. What is it about that particular form of having the panels and the text bubbles? What opportunities does that open up? Oh, well, it, it opens up all the opportunity to be very creative with the flow of the story. I'm actually very traditional in the way I set up my pages. They tend to be you know, three three columns and four rows. Yeah. But because it's panel by panel, I can, uh, if I need to, um, I can use double panels, triple panels, you know, quadruple. Sometimes a page will have a, a huge, great uh, four by four panel, and then the others fit around it. So it, it enables you to really get dynamic with the, the flow of the story. Whereas with a picture book, it's just flipping page after page. So it's quite static, which I think is good for younger kids. But as from a certain age, the kids are looking for more dynamic uh, flow. Certainly adults do. And so that's what the comics bring. It brings movement to the whole thing. And you've been doing comics since you were a kid as well. Do I have that right? Well, really, I started doing comics more recently. But I did play around as a kid. I did play around. One of my first ever... Obviously, unpublished, unseen, completely forgotten, uh, <laughs> you know, sitting in the bottom of a drawer maybe 20 years ago was called Indiana Bones, Indiana Bones with a B Bones. and the Temple uh-huh. of Doom. Because uh, a friend of mine and I had uh, just seen Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom yeah. in the cinema. This was the 80s. And, uh, and my friend was a very good artist. He was really good at drawing as well and so we got together and, and did about two pages of this character called indiana bones it's basically a skeleton arc uh, a skeleton walking around looking like harrison ford except he was a skeleton uh, but that doesn't count i mean <laughs> the, the comics really took off around the mid you know the mid sort of uh, 2000 2007 2008 around that time do you do any other forms of artwork i mean you, do you do field sketching of wildlife plants etc no no, never, <clears throat> never. I, when I did my field as a, as a conservation biologist, when I, when I do field work, it doesn't happen anymore these days. But when I did, it was all the just, just you know, jotting down the data. Yeah, um, notes. There was, no, there was no artistic side to that at all. <laughs> but, you know, the, the, the artwork did come in useful to do standalone cartoons, by the, uh, on the other hand, for things like bulletins and newsletters, conservation-orientated materials, sure. communication materials like that. And I would often, I would often sketch in the margins or, or do little, do little cartoons like that, a standalone artwork. Well, based on my experience reading the Adventures of Captain Polo, you certainly seem very comfortable with the pen or pencil or whatever your tool of choice is. Yeah, well, you know what's, it, it's, it comes naturally. As a kid, I did do a lot of cartoons just for fun, usually at the back of the classroom, and usually of teachers making them look like <laughs> monsters and entirely undesirable 
characters, which of course made me made me a lot of friends with uh, with other kids. I was very shy as a child, and I and I had a lot of trouble making friends because I moved around a lot of countries very quickly. And so one of my main social uh, tools was actually those cartoons, which is interesting, right? Because I was, I was able to connect with other kids that way. And so, uh, yeah, it's, it's something I've always done. Um, but, you know, it's funny. I, I can't draw a horse, for example, to save my life. So really? I, yeah. So I, I, I kind of steer away from certain styles. And I'm certainly not a gifted illustrator. But somehow I managed to get away with it, with the particular style of cartoons that I have. And it works for me. So that's what I stick to. Yeah, I mean, that's the whole idea of art is find your lane and stick with it. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. So you've selected a polar bear and there's been a lot of interesting discussion lately in particular about the polar bear as a symbol for the climate emergency. And some yeah. people think it's a great symbol. Some people think it's been overdone. Yes. There, there are a lot of opinions about it right now. What made yeah. you choose a polar bear? Well, you know, this is a question I often get on, on podcasts, and it's a great question because, as you say, Ian, the polar bear does tend to be the poster child of climate change and yeah. almost to a point where other parts of the world don't, you know, I've heard that people from other parts of the world just don't relate to that to that species as an emblem. Of climate. Mm -hmm. And I get that. I do. I totally understand. And people around me here in South America, they've said, why don't you use a spectacle bear, for example? Yeah. Um, and they're totally right. And and when when I do reach out into this market or into this, uh, you know, this audience in, in Latin America or at least South America, at least in the Andean regions, I will bring in a friend of Captain Polo who will be a, a spectacle bear and he already has a name and, and it'll be a duo. You know, that's a really great question for that reason. The reason why I chose the polar bear is because as I started designing the first comic book, I really knew very little about climate change. And it, I had to, I used that as an experience to learn about, about the subject, which at the time when I was starting this was around 2015, which coincided with the Paris Agreement. And, yes. um, and it, that was all in the news, but I didn't really understand what was going on. And uh, in my job as a conservationist, I had to understand what was going on because this discourse, this language about climate was coming in to, you know, uh, funding proposals and, and, uh, relationships with farmers in the Andes, talking about the weather and how it's changing and all this and that. So I realized I had to learn about climate. And um, and this coincided with choosing to do another book, which was the, the first Captain Polo book. And um, I chose the polar bear because I thought, okay, polar bears are really very symbolic of climate change. So I went with the easy route that way. Mm -hmm. And also I found it's an easy, it's an easy animal to draw. And I wanted, <laughs> yeah. I knew that and so there was a practical reason because I knew that in a comic book and I already knew that I was going to make a series and that this series would go on ad infinitum. And so I needed something that I could get down every time without it looking different. And and I mentioned earlier that I have trouble drawing certain things uh, like horses. And, and I didn't want to have that problem with my main character. I, it had to be It had to be dead sure that I could draw Captain Polo on a whim upside down in any any situation with any expression and so that's why i chose that particular species because it's a combination of uh, an animal that everybody knows about even if they haven't particularly seen one necessarily but everybody knows about polar bears so it's a very popular you know animal in in people's uh, minds 
Um, it's easy to draw. It is uh, one of the first victims of global warming in the Arctic because the habitat is changing and the bears are forced to migrate south. So there's a whole ecological and the conservation weight behind that animal. And it's also an apex predator, you know, so it's cool. It's awesome. It's an awesome animal. And I wanted to bring in some weight of a character who has a certain presence, you know, on the pages and, and outside the pages. He has a certain presence. And Captain Polo is a wild bear. He's a predator. He's powerful. He's strong. But he's also a bear. And if you look at uh, children's literature, you know, bears for many, for a lot of reasons, are very, very popular. Yeah. In children's literature, there's Paddington Bear, there's Winnie the Pooh, there's, there's others. And so it kind of all gelled together. So, you know, that's kind of like my long winded answer to your question. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? It works. And it, that's yeah, what it's about. I think it does. Yeah. Talking with Green Teachers is produced by Green Teacher, a registered charity in Canada that has been enhancing environmental education since 1986. By taking out a subscription, you can join our global network of passionate environmental educators, receive each issue of our quarterly magazine, and gain exclusive access to our vast archive of webinars and magazine back issues. All proceeds go back into the organization to support our vision of helping each successive generation of young learners become more environmentally literate than the last. To learn more, visit greenteacher.com. An individual polar bear can travel up to 4,000 kilometers across the sea ice, sometimes going long stretches without a meal in often grueling weather conditions. You mentioned earlier about bringing in humor and slapstick, and it's such an interesting topic. I think you could almost do a full episode on it of how to bring in humor to these weighty topics like climate change. And I've had this discussion off air, doing that in air quotes, with folks about, you know, is there a place for humor? And I've read various things about this. And you've certainly integrated humor into the comics. And I'm just, I'm so curious about your process of making those creative decisions about where to place it, how far to go, making sure that it's appropriate, just all of those important questions. I, I'm just, yeah. yeah, I'm so curious to hear your thoughts. Oh, well, thank you for asking that, Ian, because it's one of my pet subjects. And, uh, yeah. and humor is fundamental for me in, in, in this work. You know, uh, I read somewhere when I was studying philosophy at school that humor lessens violence. A famous philosopher said that, and I'm not quite sure which, so I won't quote. But when you think about it, humor is an incredibly useful tool in communication especially when it comes to serious subjects and there are many many ways that we can talk about this uh, one of the top top reasons for using humor in talking about climate is because it's because it's such an anxious it's such an anxiety you know inducing subject and, and yeah. there's a lot of data now there's a lot of research around the world with psychologists uh, development developmental psychologists and sociologists about the the very serious impact that the media about climate change is having on on young people and on on youth generation Z and uh, and younger and 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 also slightly older as well. And so communicating about the subject, we all know it has to be positive. It has to be about solutions. It has to be action orientated. We can't dwell on the problems. And so humor is a perfect compliment for me to do that. 
and I have a I have a strong sense of humor myself, and uh, my my kind of background in uh, in literature, humorous literature, includes you know great classics of the graphic novel and comic world, such as the you know uh, Asterix book and Tintin, uh, which in Europe are legends. Um, in North America, perhaps less so, but still quite well known, and and that is full of humor. And so, but I'm really interested by your question about how far do you take it? Because mm. that is a really, that is a minefield. And I, in full disclosure, I have been criticized by certain teachers right. uh, who don't agree with the humor side of my work, uh, or at least they don't appreciate it, or they don't look at it in, they don't appreciate it in the sense of um, its intrinsic value. Uh-huh. And they, they measure it against the, you know, the constraints within the educational sector where certain subjects, you just can't go there because it it could be misunderstood because it's too sensitive. So I've had criticisms, for example, of the way I draw certain characters. To me, these are nonsensical comments, but it shows how sensitive that subject is, how, how people can interpret humor in so many different ways. And so I do need to be careful with you, you know, and, and one, I've given an example a lot of a lot of my books include drunk uh, uh, drunk sailors or people having a drink. You know, mm-hmm. um, there's in in Pole to Pole, the fourth book in the Captain Polo series. Captain Polo bumps into a disgruntled actor in Finland who plays the role of Father Christmas in in one of Finland's top tourist attractions for the winter, which is uh, sort of uh, uh, the North Pole kind of uh, a theme park. And a true fact is that in Finland, uh, global warming is having an effect on winter tourism because the snow is melting a lot faster. And so people are, are coming to be out of jobs. You know, there's a, yeah. there's a problem in Finland in the tourist industry uh, because uh, people playing the role of Father Christmas in these theme parks suddenly find themselves out of a job. And this is a documented problem uh, in Scandinavia. And in that book, I wanted to touch upon that problem. And so Captain Polo bumps into a disgruntled actor making his way home, still wearing the Father Christmas costume <laughs> with a fake beard and everything. And he's just lost his job because there's no snow, right? Um, and, he, and he sits down on a boulder and talks to Captain Polo about his problem. And he has a swig from a hip blood. Because if I were that actor and I'd be really upset and pissed off that I'd been laid off, yeah. I'd probably have a, a hit flask, hit flask with the local liquor to, to, you know, to drown my sorrows. And to me, that provides humor to the story. But within the tight constraints of the education community, I understand that that can also be, you know, perceived as a material that is not uh, appropriate sure. for, for for schools. So I have to be careful with the humor. And I really love that you touched upon that. And as you say, it it can almost be an entire separate episode. (laughs) It could. And I mean, the thing with humor is you're never going to please everybody. And that's not to say that we shouldn't be careful and that we shouldn't pay attention to what we're doing. And I think most good comics do that. But there is always going to be someone for whom something just hits the wrong way. And it's important to get that feedback and just learn from it. But it's impossible to be all things to all people. I agree. I agree. And I also believe that, you know, putting the hat of an artist on, I think artists do need to be true to their style. They do need to be true to themselves and not get too generic mm-hmm. because the whole value of art is to be original. And so, you know, my position is one of, you know, humbly accepting 
the feedback when I get it, but it's not for everybody, like you say. And I move on, but I I stick to my style, you know. And I hope that that will be appreciated by some members of the audience. Yeah. Hey, it's Ian. I'm just here to let you know about two of our newest books, Teaching Kids About Climate Change and Teaching Teens About Climate Change. Each one is kind of like an educator's toolbox with ready-to-use hands-on lessons focused on four core dimensions of climate change. Visit greenteacher.com to get your copies. We also have special rates available for bulk orders, and all proceeds go back into the nonprofit. When a prey animal, typically a ringed seal, is located, a polar bear usually breaks through the ice and holds the seal up from the frigid waters below. In terms of the use of the comics in the classroom and with educators, have you been in the classroom and observed students interacting with the comics or activities associated with them? Yes, uh, well, I, would, I, would, I would like that to be much more frequent experience because it's really where it's going. But I have had that experience on a couple of occasions and, and I've seen that the kids enjoy the humor. They enjoy the pace as well. They like fast paced stories. So yeah. So the comics have to be quite fast paced. They, they enjoy that. They get the message as well. They're surprisingly knowledgeable, uh, a lot of these kids, about the technical content. Um, you know, even, even, even with deeper subjects within climate, such as justice and, and climate finance and, and these sort of not obvious, if the books go way beyond just talking about melting ice caps, right? Yeah. I get into the, you know, migration, war, finance, justice, uh, all, all of this uh, comes through. And so uh, the kids do get it. And above all, they relate to the character. The children relate to the Captain Polar persona. And uh, when I go into schools, usually armed with uh, the comic books, but I also bring along the physical persona Captain Polar. I have this uh, stuffed toy version of Captain Polar, which, uh, well, no one can see it. And you, even you can't see it because I'm using a fake background. But it's uh, <laughs> you know, like a teddy bear. It's like a teddy bear of Captain Polar with his hat. Yeah, And the younger kids absolutely love that. So it really is an emotional connection that I get, you know. And uh, adult feedback is they enjoy the books as well. Um, maybe sometimes I think even more than the kids do because they get the more nuanced kind of humor. And, uh, and some have even commented that the, these materials should be put before politicians, which I actually agree with. And I think I regard that as a, a real compliment. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I really do. And I agree as well. You mentioned about climate justice and financing. And I had this described recently to me as sort of the new kid on the block when it comes to climate change education, which on one hand is great, but it's also unfortunate because the injustices in terms of the people who are historically most responsible for emissions and those who are impacted the yeah. most by it, those have been known for quite a long time, but it's only just very recently when it has really reached the forefront of a lot of discussions and we're recording this while cop 27 is going on and it's a big part That's of the right. discussions financing is oh, a major yeah. part of the discussions and you yeah. certainly based on my reading of the captain polo series you certainly have not shied away from those topics even though they're very heavy within an already heavy context yes what's your thought process in addressing those heavier topics like climate injustice? Well, you know, I really want to make sure that it's out there, that I put it out there. Mm -hmm. I don't believe in sugarcoating anything for children, no matter how young. I believe they need to know and they need to understand why, you know, 
So <clears throat> this is why having a character like Captain Polo is so great, because he is curious and he comes into a problem at face value. And because he can speak to humans, he, he listens to the stories. Uh, so the storytelling comes in from the characters he meets and they give him their tale as woe. You know, they explain to Captain Polo their problems and he interprets it as an innocent bear would. He's, he's very much Paddington Bear and yeah. Winnie the Pooh combined into one and with a climate mission. You know, that's kind of like the, the, the character basis of Captain Polo. And so I approach these heavy subjects straight on, head on, by having Polo meet uh, the victims of climate injustice, such as, for example, when he meets people in boatloads from, um, I, I don't I never know how to pronounce the, the name of this nation. Kiribati is how you, you write it, but I know it's not pronounced Kiribati. And I, I've forgotten how you pronounce it. So my apologies to anybody from that country. But it's one of the low-lying nations in the, in the, in the South Pacific that are currently basically being flooded by, by, by rising sea levels and all the associated problems. And, and Captain Polo meets these refugees and they very, very clearly explain their problem. And so again, when you approach a subject like this, I don't want to just have a page of talking heads mm -hmm. because uh, the reader's gonna put the book down. It's like the boring, you know? So I have to bring in the humor. I want to bring in a twist, some kind of adventure. So when, for example, in book one of the series, Captain Polo meets these immigrants in their boat. There's an overcrowded rowing boat and Captain Polo's asleep uh, because he's crossing the Pacific and, you know, he's been drifting for, for days and he's exhausted. And one of them says, the, this is a bear. This is a very strange animal to meet uh, here in the Pacific Ocean. It looks thirsty. So they, they throw a bucket of water on, on his face. And, and so you have that, that action, that one single panel where there's a slapstick moment yes the classic you know the classic looney tunes splash of water in captain polo's face a pair of eyes looking through the water <laughs> and the cap flying to one side it's just a, a small little moment of humor but it it serves as a way of balancing out the heavy non-fiction content so i'm always looking to do that i'm always looking to have this dance and it, it goes from panel to panel, you know, one panel from one panel to the next. There will be a scene of slapstick or some kind of a, a visual humor or verbal humor, but it brings in it brings in the serious subject in a way. And I'm always trying to find that perfect formula. So how do I mix these two things together? It's, it's an onworking, uh, it's an ongoing work in progress. It's constantly an experiment. It is. Yeah. I mean, it's this give and take. And I think so many artists and storytellers go through this. I mean, you see this a lot in yeah. movies or theatrical plays where oh, a yeah. heavy scene is followed by a comedic scene. And I think it also prevents it from coming across as preachy. And there are some people who are That's really right. sensitive to anything that is even remotely perceived as preachy. And I don't think yes. in any way the Captain Polo story is preachy or overly heavy-handed, um, and I think the humor is a big part of that. I think so, and, and in fact, I have been uh, I have been commended by adults that precisely this is not at all preachy. Mm -hmm. uh, that's been something that they've that's been one of the most positive comments I've received from adult readers giving me reviews is that this is not preachy. It's not in your face. It's done in a way where it kind of the information sort of slides in you know, and it rides the wave of the storytelling and the fiction. And this is something that I'm very passionate about. And, and uh, 
practice with practice comes it makes perfect so it's a constant yeah. experiment I'm always you know from one book to the next i will i will tweak the formula you know the book one is very heavy on the non-fiction and the problems of climate change because that's where i was at at that time i i was all about oh my god we have this crisis you know and then i realized i need to make it more about solutions so polo book four is the the slider if you consider you know fiction an opposite end to non-fiction and uh light sort of playful material on the opposite spectrum to heavy material sure uh, the formula of those two sliders is very different in the fourth book than it is in the preceding book because i've gone way out on the limb with being playful captain polo is has fun on a, on a nuclear submarine for god's sake you know it's nothing to do with climate change but it, <laughs> but it makes the story more fun so i've gone out on the limb and some people have said oh my god you're crazy that's your way of subject it's, you know but it's part of the experimentation and it's it's gonna take maybe six seven books to maybe hit the right exactly that sweet spot yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hi there. You might recognize my voice from such podcasts as the one you're listening to right now. Speaking of podcasts, Green Teacher is involved in another one. It's called Earthy Chats, and you know what? How about I let my co-host, Jade Harvey Barrel, tell you the rest? Take it away, Jade. Thanks, Ian. Hello, all. Indeed, we'd love for you to join us for Earthy Chats our new podcast where we've come together to spend time picking the brains of the brightest and best in environmental education. Like Busy Bees, we'll be cross-pollinating ideas across our range of interests and knowledge bases to give you the inside scoop on what's new, who's doing it, and how you can do it too. All of the experts featured on the show have resources available Canada-wide in the Outdoor Learning Store. That's Canada's non-profit outdoor resource store. You can check out the range of educator and student resources available at www.outdoorlearningstore.ca. So whether you're a teacher, educator, parent, or just a general nature geek, there'll be something for you to sink your teeth into. Did I cover everything there, Ian? Definitely. Thanks, Jade. So yeah, Earthy Chats. Check it out on your favorite podcast app. Across its travels, a polar bear is likely to encounter other hardy arctic animals like ivory gulls, walruses, belugas, arctic foxes, and perhaps even the occasional human. You've done four books. What is next for Captain Polo? Where is he off to next in his ever-unfolding adventures? Well, he's, he's, off, he's off to Brazil, as it happens. He's off to Brazil. Uh, Polo Book 5, the sequel to Pole to Pole, is... The sequel is uh, all about Brazil because um, Polo Pole to Pole originally sets out to have been a journey from the North to the South Poles. But I realized with all the material I wanted to cover in between that it was going to be way too long for a single book. So I decided to stop it halfway on a cliffhanger and continue. And book five I'm working on right now is uh, Captain Polo in Brazil. And it, it, I decided to dedicate the entire book to that country because there's so much to cover in Brazil as, you know, South America's largest country, uh, one of the key, one of the two hotspots in the world for, for forest conservation, yes. and carbon and carbon uh, sequestration, Indonesia being the other one. 
and arguably uh, Democratic Republic of Congo. But Brazil, certainly in the Western Hemisphere, is of incredible importance for carbon sequestration. And, uh, and all that goes around that, you know. So Captain Polo is touching upon human rights abuse with, uh, to indigenous populations in the Amazon. You know, he, he meets illegal loggers who are actually criminal gangs in Brazil. And I want to show that, you know. So uh, spoiler alert for those who don't like that kind of material. These guys do have guns and they do use them and they will use them against Polo. <laughs> but that's the reality, right? right. I mean, especially what reality. we've gone through in the yeah. last few years in that country. Exactly. So there's so much to say about Brazil. And of course, it's not about the problems. It's also about the solutions, right? So uh, there's some wonderful uh, case studies, for example, in the favelas in Rio de Janeiro of mm. how community spirit is rising to the fore independently of state, anything that may be state controlled or subsidized by the state, because the favelas, the slums in Rio de Janeiro are famously abandoned yes. by the government. They are breeding grounds for violence and gang and drug related violence. It's true. But there's also a thriving community that lives there. Uh, and these are very much grassroots uh, initiatives to, you know, for sustainability. So they have things like permeable, permeable uh, pavements, they have uh, biodigesters, they're putting up solar panels, they're catching rainwater, they have rain gardens, there's composting, there's all kinds of permaculture, there's all kinds of really cool stuff going on in the favelas. And Captain Polo walks through one, you know, and he gets to he gets to meet these people. And, uh, and half of them speak to them in Portuguese, and I love that's another aspect, Ian. I love to keep the authenticity of yeah. the geography. So the geography is 100% accurate. I use Google Earth to draw the scenes. You know, that's how far I get into the accuracy part. I use Google Earth. And uh, and the languages are in there too. And there's a lot of Portuguese in there with, with footnotes. But, it, it, you know, so Polo in Brazil is the next book. And I am trying to get on with it. But there's so much else to do that I haven't been able to advance. <laughs> and what is next for Alan Hesse? Well, I, I have this this year in June created the brand that you see on my screen, Ian, the Captain Polo Climate Academy. I decided to take Polo out of the books because I believe that there is a lot of potential in this character uh, to go beyond just being in two-dimensional books. And so Captain Polo Climate Academy is all about promoting and sustaining climate literacy in the world. And that means supporting teachers, with resources that can be on demand. Captain Polo is all paws on deck, I like to say. You know, he's all paws on deck for teachers and schools. Uh, there are some projects that I already have. Uh, one of them is about food systems and climate change. And it's a project where I go into schools, we set up uh, this research-based project that aims to instill critical thinking skills in students about where their food comes from. And it includes uh, research using specially prepared materials with, you know, you score your ingredients depending on where they come from and how they were grown, how they're packaged, all this. We talk about food waste. We talk about food production systems. And the kids get to cook their own recipes that they analyze for sustainability. And at the end of the project, there's a final event, which is Captain Polo's Climate Friendly Food Fair which is like a master chef kind of event with judges and the gastronomy, you know, the tasting 
the, the teams get graded on how good their dish is, but also how well they present the sustainability and climate friendliness behind the whole project. And so there's like a master chef thing going on. That's one project I'm very excited about rolling that out with schools here in Ecuador, um, hopefully uh, at the beginning of next year. And uh, the other project is a climate change course for kids online where I have polo animations. So I provide the artwork. I've got a bunch of interns at the Universidad San Francisco de Quito, which is the Ecuador's foremost university. They have a very active film studies faculty. And I have a partnership with that university where I get interns to, um, to you know, turn my artwork and make it move, basically. And so that is the content. And each, uh, I'm just launching a minimum viable product right now of that course, which is module one, the first module. And it consists of three lessons, an introduction to climate change. Each lesson has an animation, has a PDF full of games, puzzles, word games that reinforce the content of the lesson. And there's an online quiz to keep everyone on their toes, you know, and to uh, enable me to measure progress. So I'm very excited about that too. And those are the two projects, but yeah, Captain Polo is, is all about helping teachers as well, you know, sustaining teachers with, uh, so I lend the brand to whatever use and demand there might be. And it, the fact that it's Polo in there, it just makes it all more fun for the students. It's that simple. And we can't lose sight of that. And you've certainly prioritized talking about solutions. And on this podcast, we talk so often about the importance of including that in climate change education. And you certainly embrace that head on. Absolutely. Given everything that you're involved in, I'm just so pleased that you found time to chat with me today. Oh, I I, listen, I, uh, I write back at you. I'm so pleased. And by the way, I'm really excited to be a partner of Green Teacher now. Yeah, uh, that's really exciting for me. And it's just another connection in the network that is very valuable to me. So thank you so much for having us, <laughs> Captain Polo and me. You Polo and yes. all the others. Yes, <laughs> that's right. Although most humans will never see a polar bear in the wild, the species remains immediately recognizable throughout much of the world even thousands of kilometers away in the Andes Mountains, where an inspired conservationist and cartoonist is scribbling away on the first page of his lead character's next great adventure. Talking with Green Teachers is co-hosted by Ian Shanahan and me, Sofia Vargasnesi. Ian is the show's writer and editor. Logo design is by Devin Terian. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or iTunes to get instant access to each new episode. If you really like the show, give us a rating too. We can also be found wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for joining us in this episode. We'll chat again soon. I personally believe that climate education is going to explode in the near future. It's just going to explode. I mean, I'm looking at North America, which is incredible progress in North America with climate education. The fact that groups like yours exist, you know, another partner of mine is subject to climate. Yeah, in New Jersey. And I know they partner with you too. Yeah. So, you know, great connectivity there.